Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. You know, I love whenever it says that Jesus, when he was baptized, and John the Baptist baptized him, and when he came up out of the water, it says that John saw the Spirit descending like a dove. He wasn't a dove, but descended like a dove. And came upon Jesus, but the most important thing there is it says that he, he remained on him. It's not enough to just be filled with the Spirit of God. We want the presence of God, his Spirit, to remain on us. It's good to have him in you. We need the Holy Spirit in us. And I believe when we get born again, he is in us. But there's something special about having him rest upon you. And I'm not going to go into teaching. If you ever want to hear a great teaching on the, the resting place of the Holy Spirit, you can listen to Bill Johnson has an amazing teaching on it. But the thing is, is that we walk in such a way and he gives, and I will give you this, that he gives the picture of, of a dove is supposedly is one of the most flighty birds that there is. And so the reason that he descended like a dove is to paint the picture that when the Holy Spirit comes and rests, he doesn't necessarily rest on you through all of your garbage. He remains in you. He says that I'll never leave you and I will never forsake you. That promise was fulfilled that Jesus gave because the Holy Spirit came to dwell on the inside of us. He's always with us. How many of y'all know some of the things that we've done, some of the places we've been, some of the ways that we walk, the things that we've seen, the things that we've said, we can look back and say the dove probably was not resting on my shoulder quite like he, he, I wanted him to. At that. Come on now, anybody know what I'm talking about? So we have a goal in this thing is that we have the presence of God that rests on us continually all the time. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we see this is where the day of Pentecost, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It's important that you take note everything that the Word of God says. I was reading one of my kids a book, and it was like a, it was like a, uh, supposed to be the Bible in, in very much kid form, and it said, and there came in a mighty rush, rushing wind. It doesn't say that. It says it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There might have been wind there, but it doesn't say that. So it's very important that we understand, just as a side note, exactly what it is that the, that the scriptures reveal. Verse 3, it says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And it also, in the book that I was reading, it showed just a little bitty fireball up, up here above their heads. I got news for you. These people were consumed with the fire of God. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Two things I'm going to talk about today is the Holy Spirit and also the gift of tongues. And so we, we see here that on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled, they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. Those were the two first manifestations of the presence of God, of the Spirit of God coming, is that they were filled and they spoke in tongues. I believe with everything in me that the church as a whole does not understand and does not cooperate with a third person of the, the Godhead like we ought to. Otherwise, I believe that we would probably have greater, not probably, we would definitely have greater manifestation of what God has promised to his kids, to his church, to see the works of God done in the earth like he wants us to do the works. We need to understand the third person. We need to understand the person of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people will say, and we tell our kids this, and it's not wrong, but it's, 
it's not really right either. It's not bad. It's just not technically correct that we, we say that Jesus lives in your heart. Actually, Jesus doesn't live in your heart. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, somewhere around verse 18, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So Jesus lives in our hearts by faith, but technically he's seated at the right hand of the Father and God is seated on the throne, correct? And so in a sense, it also says that we're seated with him in heavenly places, but technically we're not actually seated there. We're here, but in faith we have all of the same authority that's been given to Jesus and so we're seated with him, right? It's speaking of the authority that we have. But where does it say that the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is here with us. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit has been, or I've been with you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will be in you, right? And so we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. We do not have Jesus here in person. And I've listened to people's conversation and even some of my own conversation over the years. And I've heard things like, boy, if Jesus were here, and I, sh- I wish Jesus here, wouldn't you just love to see Jesus walk through the room? Jesus himself is the one that said, it's better that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. There is a, a work and a manifestation and a power in the person of the Holy Spirit that the church has yet to really lay hold of. I truly believe that. Because if we saw all of the things, and, and the Bible records all of the things that they saw that Jesus did, and yet Jesus said, it's better that I go so that you can have the Holy Spirit, we haven't even seen, even close, well, maybe close, but we have not fully seen everything that Jesus saw. And so I believe that there's way more to come. And Jesus said also, he said, the works that I do, you'll also do those works and even greater works. Well, how are we going to do the works that he does and even greater if we're not operating, understanding, and communing with the person of the Holy Spirit like he did? This is a Kentology here, but I'll just slide this in here because I'm going to talk about tongues here in a second. Uh, personally, I believe that the reason that Jesus went away, so many times it said as usual that he would go away and he would pray, right? And he would go by himself. I believe, again, this is Kentology, and I don't like to throw a lot of that in, but I'm just going to throw it in. I believe he was probably praying in tongues, and he knew that they weren't ready to receive and hear the things that he was saying. Because there is a power that comes from praying in the Spirit that I I also believe the reason that we don't recognize and operate in the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has has for us is because we don't utilize the gift of praying in tongues. And part of the reason we don't utilize it is because it's been misunderstood and misrepresented. And so today I believe that clarity is going to come. Amen? So I want to show you this verse before I go any further talking about tongues. I want to show you this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, if we could pull that up here, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, and this came to me very recently and just really, just really rung my bell. And I want to, I want to tell you my testimony real quick, and then I'm going to get into this verse. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there's a lot of people that don't even recognize that there is a difference between being born again and being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I believe really you could receive both of them at the same time. That's no problem, amen? But there is a difference between being uh, born again, giving your heart to the Lord, receiving salvation, and then actually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the difference to me is, I heard one guy say this, and I liked it, the difference is having water in a bottle. That's like being born again, and then we get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like taking that bottle, putting a cork in it, and throwing it into the ocean, And so there's a big difference between the Holy Spirit being in us and the Holy Spirit being on us. Amen. 
And so when I was about 18 years old, I was driving in my car. Many of you have heard this, but I just felt impressed to share this real quick. I was driving in my car, and I was, it was really late one night, and I was um, headed home, and I, I began to pour my heart out to the Lord. And I don't remember my exact words, but I said, God, I, there's got to be more to this life than what I'm experiencing. I'm, I'm missing something. And I just began to pour my heart out to the Lord. And the next thing I know, the presence of God just filled my car. And I began to weep. And I'm not really much of a, of a crier, but I began to weep. And I, as I was driving down the road, all of a sudden, it was just like the, the love. I began to weep, and the love of God just filled and consumed my, my vehicle. I mean, if I could have opened the door, I'd just imagine what it would have done to things or people on the outside. It was, it was that powerful. Then all of a sudden, I begin to speak in another language. And I had been familiar with this because I grew up in a home, but I had never experienced this before. And I was already born again. I already had a relationship with the Lord. I already was speaking to him and hearing him speak to me. But this was something totally separate, a total separate experience. And I don't, I'm not going to take time to go back and teach on it, but you can look at Acts 2, at Acts 8, at Acts 10, at Acts 19, all of those, um, three of those there's four instances listed in Acts where the Holy Spirit came on people, and three out of the four of those, the people were already believers in Jesus. And in fact, in Acts chapter 19, it says, in finding some disciples there, Paul asked them about the Holy Spirit. Disciples, how, how many of y'all know disciples are people that already believe in Jesus? Those are people that are following Jesus. And he said, finding some disciples there, he asked them about the Holy Spirit, and they said, we've not so much heard whether there be a Holy Spirit. And so then he went and he prayed for them and they laid hands on them. They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. And so they had this separate experience that was, it was separate from salvation. And this was the same thing that the Lord gave me that happened to me. And there's a lot of teaching that's been going around for a lot of years that God doesn't do that anymore or it's been, you know, it's passed away, so on and so forth. I got news for you. you testimonies, it's hard to argue with someone's testimony. And I had a testimony of God touching me in that way. And since then, I've seen, I don't want to say thousands, that would be an exaggeration, but I've seen hundreds of people be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And by the way, speaking in tongues is an, an, evident, an, an evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit. But you know what the, you know what the greatest uh, evidence of someone that's been filled with the Spirit is? They're filled. And when you live filled, when you live full of the Holy Ghost, it shows, it shows on your face, on your countenance, on the way you treat people, you go about life, all of that stuff. So just being filled is evidence, but also God has the gifts of the Spirit that he wants us to understand and flow and function and operate in. But what I found when I got baptized in the Holy Ghost is I found a communion with the Holy Spirit that I had never had before. I found a relationship to the Father through the Holy Spirit that I didn't even know existed. And so if we could pull that verse back up here, I want to show you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, I think it is. Do we have that pulled up? I want everybody to see it. If you don't have a Bible, I want to make sure you see it. There we go. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that it says all three parts of the, God, the Godhead here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. And this is at the very end of the entire book. And so this is his blessing and this is his goodbye at the end. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want you to notice something. First of all, it says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
if it hadn't been for the grace of God, there wouldn't be any of us be sitting in here today. In multiple ways, we could say how true that is. But then it says in the love of God, and I just think about how powerful the love of, of God is and the fact that he sent Jesus. Have you ever just sat and just meditated on who God really is? If you haven't, you need to, who God really is and what he did for humanity. He had every right to wipe every one of us out before Jesus came, right? Or at least before Abraham came and he made a covenant with Abraham that was going to be an everlasting covenant. But before that time, as far as I'm concerned, God could have wiped all humanity out. And even you go back before that, it says that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. That means that before God created the world, he knew what man was going to do. And he created, through Jesus, he poured out his love and created a way for man to be made right with God. Looking forward to all of those thousands of years before it would actually even happen. How great is the love that God has for his creation? It's incredible. Think about that for a while, and that'll get next to you. But this is the part that I really want to say. It says, in the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And so this word communion here, it means primarily three different things. It means, and you can write this down, the word communion means primarily three different things. It means partnership. And so it's saying that we're in partnership with the Holy Spirit. If we're going out throughout our day, and by the way, the Holy Spirit isn't just given just so we can fulfill the Great Commission. It's given to help enhance our lives, but also to fulfill the Great Commission, amen? And so we're supposed to be in partnership with him in everything that we do. And then also, the, the next thing is, is that communion is fellowship. And then the last thing is that it's intimacy. So communion is partnership, fellowship, and intimacy, and so it's very interesting, and I love the, the verbiage that he puts here on Jesus, on God, and on the Holy Spirit, and that we're supposed to have communion with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a couple examples of what this looks like from the word. Acts chapter 8, flip to Acts chapter 8 very quickly, and let me show you this. And in verse 26, but what was going on here is that there was a revival happening in Samaria that Philip had... Uh, preached. Actually, that wasn't Samaria yet, but Philip had, had uh, won some people to the Lord. Actually, that was Samaria. Anyways, and so a bunch of people had given their heart to the Lord, and they were going about and ministering the gospel. And then verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from, the, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert. So you see there that an angel spoke to him. And then jump down to verse 29. And it says, then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip obeyed with the voice of the angel and he went to the place that he told him to go. And then when he got there, the spirit started speaking to him. What spirit? It was the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I think that this is so important is for most of us, if we had an angel appear, anybody in here ever had an angel appear before you? Let me just see a show of hands. Probably some of you, a handful of you. For most people, either whether you have or you haven't seen an angel appear before you, if you had an angel appear before you, you would be so stuck on the fact that the angel appeared before you, you would go there and you probably, let's be honest now, you probably would be preaching about the angel that appeared before you. Come on now. When we experience something supernatural, it seems so rare for most of us, but this seemed normal to him. And so the angel appeared to him, and he told him to go to this place. He went there. Then the Spirit started to speak to him. 
for most of us, our minds would be going so fast and, and so hard on the angel that it appeared to us that we wouldn't even hear the voice of God if it spoke to us. Because see, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's the still, small voice. How was it that he was able to hear him? Because he had normal communion with the Holy Spirit. I propose that this was normal for Philip to hear the voice of the Spirit on this level. Let me give you another instance over in Acts chapter 20 of what this looks like to have communion with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20. And in verse 22, and this is Paul at the first minister's conference giving instructions to these ministers. And in verse 22 of Acts chapter 20, it says, And see now, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. How'd you like to have the Holy Spirit tell you that? But I want you to notice that it says that the Holy Spirit testified. Some translations say that it emphatically told him that in every city, and some translations say city, I believe it's amplified, says city after city after city. So that means if the Holy Spirit was speaking to him city after city after city, that means he was hearing him city after city after city. There's a communion with the Holy Spirit that we are absolutely positively supposed to have. And the, where I'm going to get to today, where I'm going to arrive in Jesus' name, are you all with me? Are you hearing me? Is that we're going to talk about how to be able to do that, how to commune with the Holy Spirit on that level. And so in Second um, Timothy, you don't have to turn there, but in Second Timothy chapter 2, and in verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so here's what I'm going to do is that when it comes to the gift of tongues, there's one particular, I'll say two, but really one gift of tongues because there's actually four different kinds of tongues that are listed in the New Testament. And there's one in particular that we are supposed to be utilizing on a consistent basis to have that communion with the Holy Spirit. One of the most common questions I have people ask me is, how do I hear God? You say that you hear the Lord and I hear people prophesy and the words of knowledge are given, but I don't understand how you hear the Lord. Listen, I'm going to tell you the answer, but if you're not, you're not listening, you're going to miss it. I pray in tongues a lot. And I'm going to get into how that actually works and what it looks like and what it does for you, but I pray in tongues every single day of my life. And if I didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of being able to pray in tongues, I wouldn't be able to do 95% of the things that I do. Sometimes I look at preachers that, that don't even believe in the Holy Ghost or don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues, and I think, how in the world do they pastor a church? I, I really, it really just totally blows my mind because I'm so consistently on board and dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and it is a, it is a most days it is a moment-by-moment moment walk with him hearing his voice and walking in step with him to know how to deal with the things that come across my path. Weekly, I have things that come across my path that I have zero idea really how to deal with those particular things. But I can tell you that, especially as of late, like in the last six to eight months, 
as I've stayed and walked in step with him and I've learned to hear his voice, I've had answer after answer after answer and the problems fixed because God knows how to fix things. God knows how to straighten things out and he does it through the person of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't know how to commune with him, and here's how, here's how the Holy Spirit is. He's not going to, he's not going to just come and just start speaking to you. Now, he could, and that does happen, but that's not really his personality. And the more you get to know him, you know, he has a personality. God has a personality. The Holy Spirit has a personality. And let me tell you a little bit of how his personality is, because I've gotten to know him pretty good, is that he will usually not initiate conversation with you. Sometimes he does. Sometimes in the middle of the night, he'll give you a, a dream, right? We've been experiencing that. That's kind of him initiating conversation with you. But most of the time when I go through my day and it's like, I feel like I'm, oh yeah, Lord, what are you wanting to speak to me? And then all of a sudden it starts to go because we're going and he'll start to speak to us and we'll start to hear because we're going 20 different directions and he's just not going to force himself on you. I'm not saying that hasn't happened, but as a general rule in communication and conversation with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just barge in and force himself on you. You have to go to him, and when you do, and you say, why is he like that? I don't know. That's just his personality. Why are you like you are? I don't know. That's just your personality. <laughs> Amen. That's not an excuse to be mean or anything. If you're mean, you need to change. That's not, some people just you know, are, are nasty and mean. They say, well, that's just my personality. No, you're nasty and mean, and you need to be nice. Amen. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is, is nice, and he's not standoffish, but he's not going to just come. He does come running after you in a sense, but that was in the sense of what Jesus did, what God did for us through Jesus. But the Holy Spirit and his relationship with you, he will wait until you start to commune with him. And I tell you, the, the number one way how I always do it when I go into prayer, I, I can count probably uh, maybe, hard, well, never, never do I go into the presence of God and begin to commune with him without first praying in tongues. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. And so I'm going to, and I read this verse in Timothy because I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth concerning the gift of tongues. And I'm going to bring total clarity to you in Jesus' name. Let me show you this before I get into, get into it a little bit more is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look here real quick. And we're going to be flipping back and forth between 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, but mostly 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. But I want to show you this very quickly. This is very important. In verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so here Paul lays out, and actually the word gifts there is, is italicized, and whenever you see a word in, in the Bible that's italicized, that means that the, the, the translators put it there to make it grammatically correct. Because when it goes from either the Hebrew to English or to Greek to English, sometimes it doesn't come out in the wash to make a perfect sentence. And so they put things in there. So maybe I could throw this out that maybe it's not gifts, but it's just things. So it says, now concerning spiritual things, which would include gifts. And the reason I say that is chapters 12, chapters thir chapter 13, and chapter 14, the, the whole book goes together. But those chapters in specific, Paul deals with spiritual things concerning gifts, concerning the body, concerning walking in love, concerning operation of the gifts, and how they function within, within a church and within uh, an assembly. And so it's really important that he's not just talking about gifts, but he's talking about spiritual things. So he says, now concerning spiritual things, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me show you this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 38. It says, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So in other words, he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. And to be ignorant just means that you don't know. But it says, if anyone is ignorant, just let him be ignorant. You know, knowing something, having understanding about something, revelation about something is a choice. It's a choice for us to hear what the word says, to know the word, and to apply it into our lives. And before I go any further, I want to say this about, about tongues. We have to understand this. We're a full gospel, Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faith, grace, intercession, worship, prophetic church. And in every one of those things, tongues is involved in every one of those things. Nobody understands the, the Holy Spirit perfectly. Nobody understands God perfectly. Nobody understands. The Bible says that we know in part and we prophesy in part. But the things that we do know, we need to be confident in what we know. So you just need to know that if you have a blockage towards the moving of the Holy Spirit, you're really, you're, you're in the wrong place because God does amazing things here. Amen. And we just, we love to just start the engine and let him drive. That's really fun to let him do that. But you need to get on board with what the Lord's doing. And this might be the last time that I minister on this for a while, and so I'm just going to hit a bunch of things here real quick. And the reason is because sometimes you can stop and you can teach something to death and then not actually operate and function in it. But I also believe that we need to have understanding in areas so that people understand what it is that we're doing and that we are doing things scripturally accurate. Amen. But it's very important that you open yourself up to truth from the word, even if it goes against what you've believed for a long time. I heard somebody say it like this, and I thought it was pretty good, that most people don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. It's the traditions of men that make the word of God of no effect. It's not that the word of God is not effectual or doesn't have effect, but it doesn't have effect in our life if we don't allow it because of our traditions and our way of thinking. But I really believe if things aren't working out that great for you, then you need to consider the things that I'm going to tell you about praying in tongues because it'll totally radically, radically change your life. I wouldn't be standing here today had I not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It has radically changed my life, my family's life. I remember when Liz got filled with the Holy Ghost and we were at a meeting and there was a couple of prophets there and she was, I know I've told this, but I love telling it and she's not here today and so I can just say it because <laughs> normally she's like, oh, don't, don't. Of course, now she's going to listen to the podcast and she's going to hear it. So, but anyways, sorry, baby. And so there were, there were prophets. And so we need to back up that the day before we were in these series of meetings at this church and the day before we were uh, at, at this meeting and there was wild stuff happening. I mean, wild stuff. I mean, I was raised in it, but it was wild for me. I mean, it was, it was out there. And one of the meetings, she goes out of the meeting and she goes and sits in the car and so we were just dating at that time. And so myself and this, this friend of mine, we went out and we started talking to her. And she goes, I just, this, this stuff is just, I, I just, I don't, it's freaking me out. It's just freaking me out. And so, I re, and I remember 
some of my Baptist friends when I was younger, God bless the Baptists, I, I do love them. Some of my Baptist friends when I was younger would say that um, God's not the author of confusion. And I realized that that, generally speaking, was a cop-out for them to just stay confused. Well, I'm confused, so it can't be God. No, stop being confused, learn, and you won't be confused anymore. Amen. So anyway, she was, had a mixture of Catholic and Baptist in her background, and here she was at this wild Pentecostal charismatic prophetic thing that we were at. And so we're there and we're trying to encourage her and there was nothing to it. She stayed in the car the rest of the service. I think we went back in and then we went to, that was the morning service I'm remembering now. And so then we went to lunch or whatever in the afternoon, got her to come back that night. And when she came back that night, she, she went up for prayer for something. And, you know, I'm sitting like here and she's up over there and all of a sudden, she goes, <laughs> it wasn't really loud because she's so little, but she went back, and, and I loved it. I look over there, and I was like, wow, man, she, I, she's going to be different, I believe. And I look, I look over, and, and she's laying there, and she goes, <laughs> it was like she just had some nerve endings just firing, and just, but she was out totally. And when she woke up, got up came to herself, she came, came out speaking in tongues. I could not have convinced her to do that because she was kind of at arm's length like this, but she opened herself up enough to allow God to touch her and minister to her. And then a great thing happened in her life and it's changed her ever, ever since. And since then, she's been amazing. So she was amazing before that, but she is a, a blessing to me now and it's because of the communion that she has with the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, in the day of Pentecost, if you go back and read in Acts chapter, chapter 2, whenever the, the Holy Spirit is moving now in services and things are happening and words are coming forth and people are doing what seems to be weird stuff, you realize that when they came out of the upper room, that they said to them, why are you all drunk? You ever seen drunk people? You ever been to like a fair or something like that? Yeah? They, I mean, they do a lot of things. Depends on the person, but they sometimes do things that are not appropriate, but they will do, and the Holy Spirit would never have us do things inappropriate. I don't mean that. But they might yell. They might laugh, right? They might even stumble and fall on the ground. Depends on how, just how drunk they are. <laughs> they might laugh hysterically. You know, the best part about drunk people is that usually they're just not themselves. Sometimes the most fun people to be around. <laughs> I'm, you get someone that's just so stuffy and they put some alcohol in them, and it's like they just come alive. Now, I'm, I am not condoning alcohol at all. So don't anyone can walk out here and say, oh, Pastor Ken was all right. But the effect that it has on people, sometimes it's like, man, I wish you were like that more. You know what? People could be a lot more like that if they'd get filled with the Holy Ghost. And so when these people on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled with the Holy Ghost... 
they walked out of there and they thought they were drunk. I mean, you go and read it. That's literally what the other people who did not experience it, they thought that they were intoxicated with strong drink. I'm moving over to this side for some reason. I'm, I'm, you all need to hear this over here. So that means that they were doing things like drunk people do, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have said, these people are drunk, right? They were, I would imagine that they were laughing, that they were stumbling, that they were hanging on each other and whatever else that they were doing, being wobbly. I don't know. And then Peter says, look, they're not drunk as you suppose, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. They had an encounter with God. And when you encounter the Lord on a high enough level, it will do something to you physically. And I've been around, and this, this happens. You get in services and where people do things. And I've learned to discern, but I'm, I've learned also not to be judgmental. And sometimes I think, well, that was probably just their flesh. But, you know, I've had times when I thought it was someone's flesh and they walk out of the service and they go, man, Pastor Ken, my back was killing me and now it's, it's great. I'm totally healed. And I think, well, shows what I know. <laughs> so when the Holy Ghost is moving like that and the anointing is flowing like that, you just don't, you just don't know all of what it is that the Lord's doing. You don't know all the conversations that are taking place between that person and the Lord. And when we learn to have a, a communion with the Holy Spirit, man, it's a powerful thing. And the reason we have powerful services where the Holy Spirit is poured out like that is it's supposed to change us. It's not supposed to make us more critical. So all the people that want to be critical, don't ruin my party. Keep your opinions to yourself. I love to laugh. Drunk people laugh a lot. I mean, I've met some that get mean, which can be good too because you need to get mad at the devil. You get filled with the Holy Ghost and you get mad at the devil. But for everybody else, you can just be happy. Why, why else do people drink alcohol? Why do they drink? Because they, it gives them some kind of feeling, right? So if we come in here and the Holy Ghost decides that he wants to give us a big, large drink, come on now, I'm being funny, but I'm being serious. Nobody should criticize the work of the Holy Spirit in any service or in anybody's life. And so all the criticism can just go out the door in Jesus' name. That's just pretty much how I feel about it. With that being said, we're not looking to do things that aren't done decently and in order. But for a long time, I tried to make sure things were so orderly that I didn't do it at all. Now I would rather do it, and then if we have to fix something, we'll go back and fix something because it's just awesome when we experience the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me talk to you about the four different kinds of tongues. There are two public tongues, and there are two private tongues. I've shared this before, but again, the Lord just really laid this on my heart to communicate this with you all. I don't really believe that we would have to if people were open to the moving of the Holy Spirit like they need to be. I don't think there would be a whole lot of, well, we need to teach on the Holy Spirit and on tongues. I don't want to say that. But when it comes to tongues, there is a, there is a huge wall in general in the body of Christ. And I think that it's because there's 
there's been an ignorance, so let's learn. Can we just agree that we're going to learn? And there's also been abuses with it. Can we agree that we're not going to abuse the gifts that God's given us, but we're going to use them and be decently in order about it? Amen. But you know, when the Holy Spirit is pouring out something, and it causes people to do things, and it doesn't mean they don't have control of their own body. I'm not saying that. But it is decently in an order for people to laugh when the time is appropriate in a service or for people to shout when the time is appropriate in a service. Amen. And when you're by yourself, you could pretty much do whatever you want that the Holy Ghost is telling you to do. It's no problem. But there are four different kinds of tongues. There are two public and there are two private. And so the question begs, do all speak with tongues? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, hopefully you're at least close to there. This is a question that was asked. Do all speak with tongues? And I'm going to answer this. And I'll answer it now, and then I'll give you more clarification. And the answer to that question, based on where it's at in the scriptures, is no, not all speak with tongues. But just hang, hang on, and I'm going to give you more. Let's start in verse 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 28. And it says, God has appointed these and the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Now, this confused me for a long time. I want to stop and pause and give you a nugget about this that I believe that the Lord showed me. Because over in Ephesians chapter 4, he lists the fivefold ministry, and it says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But here, he, said, he, lists, he lists three of those and then lists other gifts, apostles, prophets, and then teachers. And then he cuts out the evangelists and the pastor. Let me throw something out to you to chew on. It says, after that, miracles and gifts of healing. Who do we see operate in miracles and healings primarily? What office? Evangelist, right? Helps administrations in varieties of tongues. A pastor in a local church would oversee helps administrations in varieties of tongues. So for whatever reason, the Lord decided to switch from talking about the office to talking about functions that operate underneath of that office. And you say, why does the Lord do that? I don't know. He can do that because he's the Lord but I believe that that's what it's talking about here. In verse 29, it says, are all apostles? Let me ask you, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? Yeah. <laughs> Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? And the answer to every one of those in a corporate setting is no. That's what this is talking about. This is talking about a corporate setting. This is not talking about a private prayer time. So whenever I've had communication with people over the years about the gift of praying in tongues and trying to encourage them to receive all that God has, they'll say, well, it says right here that not everybody prays in tongues. It's asking a question, but it's implying that not everybody prays in, in tongues. And that's true. In a corporate setting, whatever that looks like, not everyone is going to function and operate in tongues and or interpretation of tongues. That is a gift that God is giving to some people. And sometimes he will put that gift, I believe, on them for maybe be a service or a time, and then they operate in other things later. I don't know how all of that works, but not everybody operates and functions with all of that. And you couple that with what it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2, actually in verse 5, excuse me, Paul says that I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, why would he say, I wish you all spoke with tongues if he just got done telling us that not all people speak with tongues? It's because he's talking about two different types of tongues, one that operates publicly and one that operates privately. I'm going to talk about the public tongue for a moment, and there's two different kinds of public tongues. There's a tongue for a sign, and then there's a tongue for an interpretation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 22, look at this. 
It says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they, will they not say that you are out of your mind? What's interesting here is that he says, just gets done saying that tongues are for a sign to the unbeliever. And then he says, if people are praying in tongues, those who are unbelievers will come in and say that, that they're out of their mind. Sounds like he totally, completely contradicts himself. But he's talking about two different kind of public tongues here. One is a tongue for a sign, and the other is for interpretation. On the day of Pentecost, it said that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they prayed in tongues, back in Acts chapter 2 where we were just reading, it says that they were praying in tongues, and there were devout Jews, men, from every nation under heaven, I think is how it says it. And it says that they were hearing those that were speaking in tongues in their own language. So you can imagine if there were, say, a hundred, I don't remember how it gives the number, but let's say that there was a hundred different Jews there from different nations who spoke different languages. And you had these Galileans that were in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to pray in tongues. There was a hundred and twenty-ish of them. And when they prayed in tongues, the ones that were from different nations around, they could hear them praying and they were hearing their own native tongue coming from these 120 Galileans that were speaking in tongues. That's tongues for a sign because it says that they were speaking, I think it was the, the mysteries of God or the wonderful works of God that they were speaking forth when they were saying it. But yet they didn't, those Galileans didn't know the languages of all of those other people that were there. They were speaking, and it was a supernatural transformation from the mouth of the speaker to the ear of the hearers. The Holy Spirit did something that caused them to understand what it was that they were saying, even though they didn't have a natural ability to speak it. That is tongues for a sign. Tongues for an interpretation is the other kind of tongue that, that it's talking about here. Tongue for an interpretation is when you're in a service, the Holy Ghost is moving. It could be a large service. It could be a small service, whatever that looks like. It usually and seems to flow better when it's, when it's coupled with worship. But there will be a tongue come forward. And then there will be an interpretation to that tongue. And whenever there is a tongue that comes forward, there should be an interpretation to that tongue. And for some people, you could say, well, I heard people, I heard people praying in tongues during worship. And I, I heard Ron, he prayed in tongues during worship. Well, that's, that's different. And if you learn to rightly divide the word of truth and you learn how to, how to flow with the Holy Spirit and understand what he's doing, you won't be confused about it. It's really very simple. When there's a tongue that comes forth, it will be pronounced. It will be in order. I personally believe it will be somebody that the, the leadership of that congregation recognizes that person of having that gift. And then there should also be somebody there that's able to interpret that tongue, somebody that's completely different. That's tongue, a tongue, an interpretation of a tongue in a public setting. Those are the two different kind of public tongues. But those are only two of the four tongues that are listed in, in the word of God. And so people will say that, oh, I don't have the gift of tongues. You may not have the gift of tongues that operates in a corporate setting, but I can promise you, Paul said he wouldn't have said, I wish you all speak with tongues unless he was really wishing that everybody really spoke with tongues. There is a reason he said that because there's two other kinds of tongues, and we're going to talk about these for a moment, and I call these private tongues. And in chapter 14 and verse 2, it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And we can look in context of what we just read, that the people that were speaking in a public tongue, be it for a sign or for interpretation, they weren't speaking to God, but they were speaking to man. 
So that kind of tongue, a public tongue, edifies the people, but a private tongue edifies the person who's praying in that private tongue. Does this make sense so far? Let me give you some more about this. And so in, let me give you the first kind of private tongue, and I'm going to hit this very quick, but in Romans, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 and verse 26, and if we could pull that up there. And then we're going to look at this together, and then we're going to move on to the next one, which I want to spend just a few moments on. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. What is our weakness? Is that when we go to pray, most of the time, we don't even know how we should pray. And when people say to me, just, this could be a good time to throw this out. People say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I'll say, yes. But I can promise you, unless the Lord prompts me or I'm in the middle of dealing with something in particular with you, I'm not going to go to my prayer closet and get on my knees and begin to pray over you. But I will be mindful and certainly am open to the Holy Spirit bringing up things in me as I pray for you. Because to be honest with you, you could tell me all of your problems and I still really don't know how to pray for you. Okay, moving on. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. That's our weakness. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. This is the hardest type of tongue for me to explain because you can't really get into this type of intercession until you have a stable communion with the Holy Spirit in your life. But let me show you how this works and how I've seen this work. As a matter of fact, just yesterday... I don't consider myself an intercessor, but when the Lord calls me to it, I'll certainly intercede because everybody can intercede on behalf of other people. And I was in my office minding the Father's business, and I began to have a heart to pray over the men in our church. And I just began to pray over them and was thankful for them and speaking life. And then I began to pray in, in tongues even before I was speaking that, and then I went back to praying in tongues, and something happened to where I went from just praying in tongues, the kind of tongue that edify and builds you up personally, which I'm getting ready to share in just a second, but I went from praying in that kind of tongue to where I moved over to an intercession, and the only thing I can tell you is that it was like I was lined up with the heart of God through the Holy Spirit and I'm, I'm not a crier, but I knelt down on my floor and began to weep for the men in our body. And I can't tell you what caused me to do that besides this type of tongue, this type of groaning in the spirit. And if you look up the word groaning, it means a sigh. So it's like a, it's like a deep thing that you couldn't come to this place on your own. It has to be the Holy Spirit bring you there. And I stayed there for probably about... 15 minutes, I stayed there and I, I groaned in my spirit, man. I groaned because the spirit of God was groaning over the men, was interceding over the men. And it's like I was there partnering because remember, that's part of communion with the Holy Spirit is you partner with him. And I begin to groan and weep over the men in our body. And I'm not really a crier. That was something that God did. And he put on me to begin to intercede for you, for the men in this body. Amen. That's what that looks like. You say, I need more scriptural precedence for that. I can't give you more. But I can tell you that it's very, very real. So that's the first type of private tongue that I want to share. The second type, are you all still with me? Are you getting something? The second type 
is for your personal prayer language and to benefit you personally. And there are five different ways that this type of tongue benefits us personally. Number one, and this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4. It says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, there's a lot in that passage right there. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Now, I'm taking bits and pieces of this because you need to understand something. This whole section in 1 Corinthians 14, it's talking about the proper use of tongues and what personal private prayer language looks like compared to what happens in tongues in the rest of the body. And so Paul goes on to say that I would rather pray, and I forget what he says, in, in five known words or something like that. Yeah, five words with my understanding than... Uh, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he was trying to bring some balance to this Corinthian church that had become out of balance and they would just all come in and, and habadaba, shubadabadaba, and nobody was getting built up because everyone was just praying in tongues. And it doesn't, when you're praying in tongues, it doesn't help anybody else. This is why I don't understand sometimes people will, will get into this praying thing with each other and it's like they do this, this huckabucking back and forth and they're, they're praying in tongues so loud to each other and I think, my God, they're not getting anything that you're saying and they're not getting anything that you're saying. And there's a reason that you would do it to try to hear from the Holy Spirit and I'm gonna show you that here in just a second. But when you're praying in tongues, it doesn't help anybody else, but it does help you, amen. So it says that he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That word edify means to build up. So number one, there's five things that we get from a personal private prayer language with the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Number one is that it will build you up. To be built up just means to be encouraged, to be exhorted. I cannot tell you how many times, hundreds, thousands of times, I was faced with something. And this is, my, this is like my go-to thing. You talk to a carpenter, you talk to you know, a, whoever that's in any kind of trade, and it's like they've got their main go-to tool that they'll go to any time to fix something that they just don't know how to fix. And when I get in the, the midst of things, it's like, God, what am I supposed to do with this? My go-to tool automatically is to begin to pray in tongues. It's automatic. I don't even think about it. And all of a sudden, at the very least, I'll be built up and encouraged and get myself under control to where I can actually hear what it is that God's saying. Because when your mind is going a thousand miles an hour, it's hard to hear what the Lord is saying to you. So number one, it's to edify you. Number two, and I love this, it comes from the same word there to, from um, edifies himself. Part of being edified is to embolden and when you are emboldened, it means that you've, um, you've been made confident. And so I've had many times, and I've shared this with you all before, that I've struggled, and especially in times past, with the fear of being in front of people. That was one of my public speaking is one of my, it's most people's greatest fear, to be honest with you, but for me, it was gripping. I've had more times than I'm willing to tell you where I've been in my office before the service, and I'm in there praying in tongues. And the reason I'm doing it is because I need a boldness. I know what God wants me to say. I know what he's revealed to me. I've got a picture of maybe what the service is supposed to look like, but it's like I'm lacking boldness. I'll go to praying in tongues, and all of a sudden, a boldness will come up on me to do what it is that God's asked me to do. Praise God. Look here in verse 13, and I'm skipping over a lot, but I'm trying to do this for time's sake. You all have a few more minutes in you? Good. Awesome. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, it talks about, with the in chapter 12 about tongues 
publicly, an interpretation of tongues publicly, but this is talking about a private. And so the third thing, the third reason why we have this private prayer language is for revelation. It says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret that tongue. I didn't understand this for a lot of years in praying in tongues, but what I do, this is part of my how I actually receive revelation from the Lord. If there's a particular situation, I'm like, God, I need to know what's going on here. I'll go to my private prayer language time with the Lord. I'll begin to pray in tongues, and before I know it, all of a sudden, revelation comes to me. Also, when I'm reading the scriptures, anybody in here ever read scriptures? They're like, I don't know what that's saying. <laughs> Come on now. So what I'll do is I'll go and read it, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus, that I have revelation. On the inside of me, the Spirit of God lives in me, and my spirit, because it's connected with yours, it knows all things. I just need my mind to catch up with where my spirit's at. And I'll go to praying in tongues, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I never saw that before. And so when you do that, when you pray in tongues, especially when you're doing it in faith for something in particular, you'll get revelation on what it is that you're asking for. You'll get understanding. You'll get the interpretation to what you're actually praying. Because when you pray in tongues, you don't know what you're saying. I've heard people say that they're speaking particular languages and they try to figure out what it is that they're speaking and there could be something to that. I don't know, but for me, I just pray in tongues and then the Lord reveals things to me because when you're speaking in tongues, you're speaking a heavenly language. Out of the four different types of tongues, the first one I mentioned, tongues for a sign, that's tongues of men because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... So he talks about two different, and actually it says tongues. I believe that there's more than one kind of tongue in the spirit, and there's definitely more than one kind of tongue in the natural. So there's tongues of men and tongues of angels. Well, the first tongue I mentioned, tongue for, tongues for a sign, that's the tongues of men, but all the rest of them are tongues of a heavenly language, tongues of angels as he refers to it here. Amen. So the third thing is revelation. The fourth thing are you with me still? Verse number 14 in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So the fourth thing and the benefit to this private prayer language is that you bypass your mind. One of the greatest things that you could ever do in the midst of a crisis is to bypass your mind. <laughs> Our thinking can be so rotten when we're in the midst of something that is rotten or feels rotten or is a difficult situation. So we need to be able to bypass our own thinking and hear directly and have a download from the Lord directly. So it, it says here, my spirit prays, in verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful. But the verse before that just said that he who prays in a tongue should pray that he also get the interpretation. So the goal wasn't just to pray in tongues and not have an understanding of what you're talking about. The goal is to pray in tongues and have an understanding of what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal. But when you're in the midst of something that's difficult, when you're in the midst of confusion, you need to shut your mind down, you need to turn your spirit on, and before you know it, you'll have the very answer that you need. I just look at it like a busy city. And you can have, you know, you can take I-55 straight through the city of St. Louis. How many of y'all know if you go there during a con congested time, it's not the best way to go, probably. It's best to get on 255 on the Illinois side, 270 on the Missouri side, and bypass all of the congestion, and you end up on the other side a whole lot easier. That's exactly what it does when you're praying in tongues. 
This, listen, this is a powerful weapon. This is a, if, we only, if we only knew how powerful this weapon was, I'd get a lot less phone calls of, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And on the other end, they think I've got the answer, and I'm going, mute. Jesus, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. Because my heart is there with you. I, I want to help you. But I'm in the same boat you are. And sometimes the Lord will give a word of knowledge or give a word of wisdom and praise God for those gifts. But half the time, I'm just as clueless as you are. But the Spirit of God knows all things. He's got the answer to all things. He has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. He has all discernment. He has all love. Sometimes you just need to be able to love people right. Oh, I pray in tongues more than you would think. Because sometimes, some of y'all, I just, I'm just trying to figure out how to love you better. Amen. And you don't make it easy. I'm kidding. Kind of. So I'll go and I'll just pray in the spirit. And before I know it, the love of God starts to flow and flood my heart. That's the fifth thing. And the last thing, will you come and play for a moment? And would you stand with me right now as I give you this fifth thing? And number five is to keep yourself in the love of God. Let's pull Jude. There's one chapter. It's verse 20, verses 20 and 21. So the fifth reason why we have this private prayer language and the benefit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to talk about this now, but when you're praying in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, you're praying in tongues. We can discuss that more another time. Verse 21, look at this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Some translations say keeping yourselves in the love of God. Listen, when you pray in the Spirit, when you pray in tongues, you keep yourself in the love of God. If there's one thing, the biggest struggle that people have as believers, and the number one thing we need to do is to, to keep ourselves in the love of God. Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And yet we've, we find the enemy comes in in relationships so strong to try to destroy us. And if we would, instead of trying to figure the other person out, instead of walking in judgment, instead of trying to read all of their, what's going on with them spiritually, if we would just begin to pray in tongues, God would show us what we need, but we'd also be able to keep our heart in a place where we just walk in love with them. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.